Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Kevin Witten. I'm the associate pastor at a PCA church down in Bernie, Trinity Presbyterian. Uh, my wife and I moved to Texas about four years ago, and it's a privilege to be here at Christ the King this morning to open God's word for you. Uh, when Tim asked me to preach, it's, it's always a delight to come and preach at another church and see what God is doing among you, and it's a joy to do that this morning. Uh, scripture passage that we're going to look at this morning comes from the book of Psalms. Uh, we at Trinity have also been in a summer Psalms series, and so we're going to turn to Psalm 147 this morning. 147 is a psalm of praise. It's a psalm that in many ways is maybe what you expect when you come to the book of Psalms. A psalm where God is extolled, is lifted up, is proclaimed as the one who is worthy of praise, honor, and glory. And so it's that sort of psalm that we come to today. And probably what you've seen as you all have worked through the psalms this summer and what we've seen at Trinity as we've worked through the psalms is the, the breadth of what God offers us in the psalms. Uh, an opportunity to take the struggles in our soul, the struggles that we encounter, whether those are uh, anxiety or anger or whether we are particularly happy or joyful. God's word gives us his truth to speak back to him. And he does that in Psalm 147 this morning, words that may be familiar to us, but cause our, our souls, our very beings to expand the praise that God is, is due, to see the wonder of who he is. So if you have God's word in front of you this morning, let's, let's look at Psalm 147 together. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. He delight, his delight is not in the strength of the horse nor is pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his word wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They, are, they do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, as we turn to your word, would you instruct us together? Would all of us, as we, we turn to this psalm, this truth that you have, would we, would, would you see the wonder that it is to praise your name? Or would you show us that too often our words have been too small and too infrequent to give you the praise that you are, you are due? Would you be the God this morning who, who heals us, our broken hearts, who binds up our wounds and points us to the wonderful hope of the gospel and the power of Jesus? We ask in Christ's name that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together this morning. 
Amen. Well, my family earlier this year had a chance to go to a family member's wedding. And so if you've noticed, people get married uh, not in churches anymore, but they get married in barns, a fixed up barn. And so we went to this, this wedding and it was, it was a wonderful celebration. And at, at some point in a lot of weddings at near the end of the reception, there's, there's a dance, right? And, and when the dance happens, there's sort of this phenomena that I'm sure you've experienced where there's the music starts and there's a, a contingency, maybe it's somewhat small, goes quickly to the dance floor area. And then there's the rest of us who sort of position ourselves around the peripheral of, of the room. And sure enough, we, as we were gathering, there was a small contingency of people that did that. And everyone else sort of observed and, and sort of impulsively started taking a few extra steps away from what was happening. I bring that up because sometimes a psalm like this, something similar happens. This is a psalm of praise, a psalm of joy, a psalm of of worship and the wonder of of God and who he is. And some of us this morning might read this psalm and say, yes and amen. We might delight to praise God. We might say, this is exactly as we sung songs this morning. This psalm sort of resonates with what happened. And and I, I delight to do that. But I think for some of us too... We, we come to a psalm like this and, and we say, I, I want to praise God. I, I know I should praise God, but we sort of pr- pr- position ourselves, if you will, around the peripheral and, and say, I'm not really sure if, if this, is, this is right and true and good. How do I grow, so to speak, in my desire to praise God? How do I praise him more fully and more appropriately as his word calls us to? Maybe it was difficult for you to come here this morning to praise God. Because of the things that are are happening in your life, real difficult things, sin, your own sin, the sin of others that has impacted you, and and, and you struggled even to come and and give praise to God this morning. Or maybe the praise that you offered this morning was was maybe a little tepid, sort of lukewarm type type prayers, or maybe it was a little sort of perfunctory, we just sort of did it out of of habit, we we come and we we praise. And, And how do we move, as this psalm calls us to, to this rich, vibrant praise of God, where we, as verse 1 reminds us, say that it is good to sing praises to our God. Well, this psalm gives us some hope, some encouragement, some answers this morning. And it begins in the first six verses, 1 through 6, of giving us a picture of us being restored by his, by his power. Verse 1 has that rich language of, it is good to sing praises to God. The goodness there is not of, of sort of moral perfection, although it is morally right to praise God. It's, it's of something that is, is good, delightful even to praise God, something that is, is beautiful and, and fitting. It's part of what motivates us, part of what calls us into the praise of God. But we also see this, this picture that offers us some reasons, some explanation beyond just the pleasantness, the fittingness that we're kind of called into corporately to worship. And it comes in verses two and three. It says this, for the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their their wounds. This language of being an outcast is language we see throughout scripture. There are many places where God's people are sort of cast out or are far away and are are brought in. Now, I don't know if any of you this morning read a psalm like this and say, yeah, I'm I'm an outcast. We don't maybe want to self-identify as as someone who has been cast out. But maybe there are, are places and experiences or even in your walk with our Savior that you have felt sort of cast out where you have felt far away. It's possible that the context here is talking about times where God's people were physically in exile, where they were cast out and God drew them back in by his grace. 
But it's not limited to that. It's, it's this, this really picture, if you will, of the, the gospel of God's people who are far away from him, but he draws them in. He brings them into this place of togetherness here in Jerusalem, here corporately as we're gathered this morning for worship. This is the God who does these things. This is the type of God that we come to worship, the one who draws in those who are cast out. But not only that, he also heals these brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And maybe this is uh, something that we understand what it's like to have a broken heart. Maybe we understand what it's like to be, to be wounded. Now, given our, our context, maybe we hear the word brokenhearted and we, we sort of pigeonhole that into a romantic sort of thing where our hearts have been broken by unrequited love or, or something like that. But the language here is, is far broader. It's, it's literally two words of, of broken and a heart, sort of a shattered heart. A heart that has been torn into pieces, been, been ripped apart. We don't know why. We don't know all the, the context here. But as we read through the Psalms, we know that so often descriptions, of descriptions like this are the result of sin. Sin that we have experienced, sins that we have done that have led to this reality of, of hearts that are broken. And it continues with this description of, of being wounded. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, it being impacted by all that is is difficult in this fallen broken world real places of sorrow hurt the places of of pain and it is god who in these places comes and brings healing substantial healing to us and, and this is something that that moves us to praise he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds this language of binding up is is literally sort of tying up constraining putting the the pain pressing it in so that there is healing and restoration it's really what we see here, that, that God, in and through what he does, brings restoration to his people. What we'll see throughout this psalm is, is really, at every point, it's, it's pointing to God's character, his faithfulness, one who restores. But even more so, it's leading us to see through our New Testament eyes that Jesus is the one who accomplishes this. Jesus is the one who restores and brings these very things that this psalm describes. How does this happen? How does this restoration happen? Well, it's through his power. Verse 4 almost moves to a, a different moment where it says he determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. This can almost seem, seem dizzying for a moment. We're focusing in on, on someone's broken heart, their, their wounds, and then it sort of zooms out to this picture of God who is the one who determines the number of the stars. And yet in the midst of that, there's something beautifully shown about God's, God's power and his ability to do the things that bring glory to his name for the good of his, his people. I don't know how many of you have, have seen the telescope images that have been coming in, you know, the new telescope, the web telescope. And, and these fascinating pictures from far, far, far away have come back. These, these sort of star fields where stars are, are forming and, and these things that we're just trying to understand and that NASA is trying to name these, these stars. What does verse, verse 4 say? He gives all of them their name. This is the God we have, the God who knows those distant galaxies, those distant beautiful things, and at the same time knows about our broken hearts, knows the places where sin has touched us, where there are wounds that need to be bound up. Sometimes we may set that up as a, as a false dichotomy or a, a dilemma. We ask, how can this God who is so infinite and powerful and majestic and controlling all of these things actually care intimately and know sort of the, the imminent details of our life? 
How, do, how can he be sort of transcendent, knowing all of this and sort of imminent and, and near to us? Well, it's because of his power. It, he must know both the intimate details of our life and the grandeur of his creation if he is a God who is, as verse 5 says, abundant in power, a picture of overflowing power, power that knows no bounds. His understanding is beyond measure. God restores us by his power. Verse 6 tells us that he lifts up the humble and he casts down the wicked. This is, points us again to Jesus in the gospel. You've probably maybe recognized some of these words if you read through Psalm 147, that language of binding and healing echoes into Isaiah 61 where it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Those are the, the same words that Jesus later in Luke 4 will use as he begins his ministry. Where does this ultimately happen? Where are our, our, our places that are broken and battered by sin, our rebellion against God? Where does healing and binding come from? Well, it comes from the one who came in the person of Jesus. The one who came to accomplish the victory over sin. And this is where this psalm moves us again and again to say this is where our hope lies. This is where we find a reason to give praise. And it, it may be surprising to us that, that this psalm would start with this language of, of brokenheartedness and woundedness. That's not sort of maybe in our minds fertile soil for, for praise. But if you've, if you've walked with Christ, if you've walked with God's church for, for years, you know that, that often it actually is. It's places of, of difficult things, difficult things in our lives that, that seemingly are hopeless, that we don't really know how God's going to sort of bring healing or bring this binding or this, this restoration through his power. But as we see him begin to work, and as we look not just to the work he does now, but to the finished work that he has accomplished through Christ, that's fertile soil for praise. Even difficult places in our life can be places that, that as we look to God's grace, his mercy, his, his justice, and his sovereignty, we can begin to see that, that we can praise God even in those moments that are difficult because he is the God who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And so we're called to worship. We're, we're called, even as uh, Tim mentioned this morning, that as we gather, it is God who initiates this gathering. And the psalm isn't just talking about corporate worship. It's talking about all of our lives lived to God's glory and the worship of his name. But it is God who draws us into that. All of creation giving praise to God, the rocks and trees, everything that God has done, giving praise to him. We join in that as we see his restorative power in our lives. The one who is not, God is not somehow indifferent to us, but knows us and has shown us through Jesus, the one who brings healing and binding of our wounds. Not only are we restored by his power through this psalm, but we also have another reason to praise, and it's that we see God providing for us in his pleasure. Providing for us in his pleasure. We see that in verses 7 through 11. This, this language, again, of singing, of praising, is offered. It says, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God with the lyre. It's a picture of a, a skilled musician coming and giving prepared praise to God, one who is delighting in who God is. He's singing to the Lord. Literally, it's, literally it's a sense of answering God back with thanksgiving. 
God has done something. He's restored us in his power. And so verse seven marks that we sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. We respond back to him with praise as we look to our lives, as we look to the cross and Jesus and the resurrection, all of those things, we sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, with praise responding back to God. Why? Because verse eight tells us of his, of his provision. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass to grow. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. Sometimes we read a psalm like that and we know it's, it's sort of the biblical language we expect of God caring for the, the creation, all of these things, his provision. But I love the, the detail of that. It mentions ravens. It mentions the beasts, the cattle of the field. It mentions hills with grass growing. All these tiny details that it is God through the strength of his word and his power that he sustains and upholds all those things. God is providing for us everything we have, every good and perfect gift that we have comes down from the father who loves us. Even of the father of the heavenly lights, the one who controls and creates all of these things. And what's remarkable about this, this psalm and how it's given to us is that God delights in doing this. God takes pleasure in providing for us. I think sometimes we have a picture of God who is maybe begrudging in his care for us, sort of reluctant to give what he delights to give us. Because there's a contrast here in verses 10 and 11. God is giving provision in verse 8 and 9. And in 10 and 11, it says what he does not delight in. Verse 10, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is pleasure in the legs of of a man. Now, I remember going, I grew up in a church, and I remember one Sunday, uh, somebody wore shorts to church. Um, this was up in Canada, a fairly traditional church, and um, this verse was used to admonish this brother that he was uh, out, of, out of order. Now, that is not what this verse is, uh, is talking about. Don't, don't, don't worry, we're not going there this morning. What it is talking about is this picture of, of power and strength and where it comes from. It's possible this is an, an agricultural image. We use horses to sort of do agricultural things, men sort of in the field. But it's also probably more likely that of a military picture. Where is your strength found as a nation? Well, and how many men can march into battle and how many horses can go with them? But that's not where God's delight is. That's not what leads to praise and, and delight in God's power. It's, it's God's power, not this thing that is, is described here. What does God take pleasure in? Not in the strength of a man, not in these horses. But verse 11 says, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. The, the picture there is not sort of if you fear God enough, he'll, he'll take pleasure in you. But as he, through his sovereign grace, calls us to himself to worship him. It's a reflection of his pleasure in us, his delight in us. Maybe you heard this news story uh, about two weeks ago um, from Houston. There was a restaurant that was being held hostage by uh, re online reviews. Not a, not a physical hostage, but the, the owner of the restaurant would receive an email and say, you need to send me, I think it was a $75 gift card, or I'm going to start posting one-star reviews on your webpage. And so they, they held him hostage. And so until they got the police involved and figured it all out. Uh, this person was, was feeling compelled to send these gift cards lest their online rankings would plummet. I bring that up because I think there's a dynamic in that that I think is sometimes how we, we approach praise, that God is sort of there in his holiness, in his majesty, and saying, if you give me sort of, to use this metaphor, the, the review that I deserve, then I'll, then I'll take care of you. 
then I'll, then I'll do the things that you need and, and those sort of things. If you give me what I deserve, then I'll provide for you. It's not really what we, we see here. Yes, it's true that as we obey God and follow his, his truth and his wisdom, there, there are good things in store for us. But God's disposition towards his people is taking pleasure in providing for them. And that moves us to praise, to hope, as verse 11 says, in those who hope in his steadfast love. That steadfast love, as you see through the Psalms and through the Old Testament, is, is pointing to God's sort of covenant faithfulness, his, his, his hesed love, his love that is covenantal, his love that doesn't depart from us. His love that says, not because you are delightful, not because you are valuable, but because I chose you, will I extend my love to you and my provision for you. God delights to provide for us. God isn't empowered by our worship. He is not dependent on it, but he deserves it. And so we return praise to him. And we need to praise him because we need to be in line with our very created purpose. We are created to give God praise, even as it talks about his creation and his provision. God has created us to give him praise and glory because he is worthy of all of that. To give praise and to give thanksgiving. But as we begin to do that, as we grow in that as brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes there's a, there's a roadblock that, that sort of gets in the way. And it relates back to, to verse 10. Maybe you've praised God, you've delighted in him, and then you, you experience real disappointment in your life. Something doesn't go well. Something doesn't go as you expect or as you planned or hoped. And you begin to ask, why is this, this happening? Often it's, it's that we have delighted not in God and his plans and the fear of him, but in the strength of, of horses, so to speak. The strength of our own abilities, the strengths of our own plans and our futures. And we've held on to that and said, God, really what I'm asking as I praise you is that you would bless what I want to do. Rather than, as this passage calls us to, to submit to God, to take pleasure in the fear of him, to say, God, it is you and your worthiness and your beauty and your truth that I'm going to follow. I don't know how that's all going to go, but I know who you are. I know how this passage even here reveals your character to me. And so I'll live for you and give praise to you as I trust in your steadfast love. And we see a wonderful security even in scripture as we do that. As we follow God, we know his love and his care for us. It was for, as Hebrews 12, 2 says, the joy that we set before him, that Jesus endured the cross. That he went there, the joy that was set before him, the joy that he knew he would have as he did what the father's will was to bring people who have no business being in God's family into the fold through the blood of our savior, Jesus. It's a wonderful picture that we see here that calls us to praise, calls us to trust, calls us to know that God takes pleasure in providing for his people. But how does God do all of this? How does God accomplish his will? How does God work these things out in our life? We see a picture of that in verse 12 through the end of this psalm as we see that we are to praise at his word. At the very word of God, we are to praise. We see again, verse, verse 12, this language of praise the Lord. These not suggestions, but commands that call us to give praise to God. O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion. It's a picture of God's people gathered together in God's city, giving praise to him a place of flourishing, a place of, of things going the way that God has called us to, things of goodness and blessing. These, these pictures of blessing come in verse 13 and 14. For he strengthens the bars of your gates, a place of security, of God holding things together. He blesses your children within you. The city, 
that's holding them together, blessing the children who are there, making peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. Sort of the picture of, of peace in the borders is the whole range of God's, God's people and God's place are, are receiving blessing because of God and who he is as they follow him. Fills you with the finest of wheat. Not a stinginess, but a, a blessing from God. The very finest of wheat. But how does all of this transpire? How does this happen? Well, we see in verse 15 that he sends out his command to the earth and his word runs swiftly. He sends out his command to the earth and his word runs swiftly. It's a picture of a, of a sort of royal decree going forward as this declaration has been given and, and the messengers carry it swiftly so that it is accomplished. When God speaks, this is what happens. His word runs swiftly. It accomplishes exactly what he intended it to do. It does not return back to him void. And there's great confidence and hope for us when we turn to a passage like this and see this, that, that God's word does what God's word is intending to do. It doesn't absolve us of responsibility. It doesn't say we just sort of follow this and, and everything is, is perfect, right, and good. But it, it gives us sort of a grounding and a picture of what is, is ultimately happening. That God, through his word, is accomplishing his will as it runs swiftly. And then I love this, this picture of God's power that we see in these next verses, 16. And, and some context here, I grew up in Canada. So when I see passages in scripture talking about snow and blizzards, I, I get a little excited. Uh, verse 16 says this, he gives snow like wool. Have you ever seen sort of just a, a thick blanket of snow that's overnight there, feet of snow given by God. He scatters frost like, like ashes, just radically changing a landscape, scattering it. Verse 17, hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Maybe, maybe picturing a, a hailstorm or something like this, an ice storm where hail is, is coming down. It is God's power on display. And then this question is asked, who can stand before his cold? Who can stand before his cold? As I read that passage, I, I think of of walking to school in negative 40 degrees with a biting wind and, and then realizing halfway there, getting a message that school was canceled. <laughs> because who can stand before that? You can't, you can't do it. You frostbite in minutes. You, it's, it's God's power on display in his creation. But even as you see that almost intimidating picture of God's glory and his power, what happens in verse 18? He sends out his word. His word that we saw in verse 15 that runs swiftly. He sends it out and what happens and melts them. It's a thaw. Where my parents live in Canada, there's this phenomena called a Chinook. Um, and and it's, a, it's a warm air front that moves in over the Rocky Mountains. And you'll see uh, in, in Fahrenheit about a 60 degree change in, in degrees in an hour. And it melts snow like you wouldn't believe. And if you've ever been sort of where, where snow is melting, there's just water rushing everywhere as God's power is on display. And this is what it reminds us of as we turn to a psalm like this, that he is the one who blows wind, a spring wind, and the waters flow. This is God's power. We have great confidence in this. That this, this has revealed God's truth to us, that this is who God is, the one who works through his word and accomplishes all of these things. And verse 19 and 20 return to delighting in his, in his word that moves us to praise. Verse 19 says this, He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. Not talking simply about his commands over creation, but actually his law that he has given us. And then verse 20 adds this, He has not dealt thus with any other nation, 
they do not know his, his rules. We know from Psalm 119 that there is this call to delight in the law of God. There is goodness in God's truth as we seek to follow what he has, he has called us to. That, that is a good thing for us. But there's, I think, a little more than just that, more than just seeing God's wonder and his truth and following it. There's a, a wonderfulness of why God gives his, his word. Maybe you know this from the Ten Commandments, right? God gives us his instruction, most centrally his moral instruction there. And we also see, though, as those Ten Commandments begin with this prologue, this declaration that you are my people. Because I have taken you out of Egypt, because I have redeemed you, you come and now follow my law. It's the same reason as we get into the book of of Leviticus when we kind of maybe get confused with all of these laws and all of these difficult passages. Why is all of that there? Well, because we have a holy God in all of his wonder and all of his majesty and all of his, his goodness that has called us, and yet Israel, his people, and the church today are an unholy people that, that can't dwell with him. Something must mediate between that. Something must stand between that. And so we had the sacrificial system, his law, his instructions. And, and so the, the, the picture here is not one of pride and sort of positioning ourselves as the, the ones who have God's holy law and we are holy because we keep it, but, but delighting in the fact that God somehow in his mystery of his providence and his sovereignty and his grace has called us to himself and has given us his, his law that we would follow, that we would obey it, that we would delight in it. But even as we, we see this, we, we look to, to the one who has word made flesh, the one who perfectly kept God's law. The one that we delight in, even as we come to God's law and we delight in its truth and we follow it. But at the same time, we see that we are so often undone by it. In those moments, we run to the truth of his gospel, the truth that we are sinners in need of God's grace. And God delights to work swiftly through his word to show us that truth and show us his very son, who is our savior. And so with this last line of this psalm, we echo it and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord at his word, both made flesh and revealed to us through scripture. His word that is powerful and runs swiftly. What do we do with this? How do we apply this? Well, we run to his word. Sometimes in, in moments of, of praise, I think in our, our culture, we've privileged sort of the, uh, the moment of praise that sort of bubbles up and we, we call it maybe organic or, or whatever. There's, there's something beautiful here about simply coming to God's truth, reading it, taking our lives to it and, and reflecting that back to God in praise to run to his word and give praise to his name, to delight in his amazing grace, to know that this, even as this is near the end of the Psalms, the end of the Psalm reflects the very end of our lives. To glorify God, to enjoy him forever, to take delight and praise there, to praise the Lord in every facet of our life, to realize that too often our thoughts have been too small, too infrequent, too far, few and far between about God and his wonder, and to turn in the hope of the gospel to the praise of God and to give him the praise that he he deserves. I had the chance this summer to read uh, some books to all of my nieces and nephews and, and two, of my, two of my daughters, and they were sort of all gathered around and we were reading books. And if you've read books to your kids, you know that sometimes you're sort of getting, you know the story, you're getting to a point, and there's some significant peril in the story. Something's about to happen, and, and you're looking at the age range, and you say, do I, need to, do I need to modify this story a little bit? Do I need to change anything? And we were getting to one of these points in the story, and, and one of my daughters said, as she sort of anticipated what I was maybe toying with. She said, it's okay. There's a happy ending. There's a happy ending. I think that's instructive for us as we look at our lives and this call to praise. 
We praise in part because we know the God who is and we know how the story ends. That there is a, a happy ending in the new heavens and the new earth, even as this psalm refers to praise the Lord, O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion. It's looking to the physical Zion and Jerusalem in this time, but also forward to the new heavens and the new earth, where we will praise together. Because there is a happy ending. Why? Because God's word runs swiftly and will accomplish what he has said it will do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at a psalm like this, we all know that there is a a need to expand our praise for you. Lord, this week, as we go through Monday and Tuesdays that may be difficult, maybe places that seem disconnected from the praise of God, would you, through the power of your spirit, show us again what it is to praise you in every facet of our being and find enjoyment and delight there because you've created us to give you praise. Would we find hope and peace in the gospel of Christ? We ask in Christ's name. Amen.